welcome to the Cigar Cast, your weekly one-stop shop for all things cigar-related, including industry news, reviews, and everything in between. We're recording live from Crown Cigars and Ales here in beautiful Brentwood, Tennessee. I'm one of your hosts, Trey Debman, and I'm joined as I am every week by Mr. Shane Reeves. By the cigars they smoke and the composers they love, you shall know the texture of men's souls. John Galloworthy, English playwright. <laughs> I thought, that, I thought that was just really when neat. Did, when did you come across that? I just today I was prowling around looking for stuff, and I'd never. That, you know, there's so many cigar quotes out there. It's rare for me to come across one that I haven't seen. Yeah. You know, because I mean, I, I enjoy that. I you know, there's a million of them by Mark Twain. There's yeah tons of them, really good ones out there. But that was one I hadn't seen in a long. I've never time. heard that before. I like it. That was the first one. By the cigars they smoke and the composers they love, you shall know the texture of men's souls. You're starting on a philosophical note tonight. I like it. I'm terribly deep. Before we get too philosophical, let's light a cigar. All righty. So, I'm excited about this cigar. I acquired this this weekend on a road trip. You pulled it out of your case with a bit of a flourish, so I had a feeling there was something special in there. This is a CAO Zocalo. And uh, Glenda and I took a little road trip this weekend, and the cigar lounge we happened to stop at had these. So here's what I love about CEO Zocalo. Um, It's Nicaraguan. The wrapper is Mexican, San Andreas Maduro. The binder is Cameroon. The filler is Nicaraguan. Um, Zocalo is the main square in Mexico City. Okay. Um, Actually, Alex told me that it was prominently featured in the last Bond film, which surprised me that you didn't have, like, a box of these in honor of that. (laughs) Well, they... Yeah, anyway. (laughs) I could could go down a road on that all night, but yes. But, so, I got it, and I've smoked one. This will only be the second one I've smoked, and I like to smoke a couple before I render judgment on any kind of cigar. I Mm -hmm. like to kind of get a couple on my belt but the one i've had one of the things i love about this cigar it's sold in one size six by 60 oh what see generally that's something i love but maybe not in a six by 60 sold in one size and one size (laughs) only six by 60 so um what i remember of it it tasted the cameroon is very prominent in this cigar okay um, some of the more prominent Cameroon flavors that I have had, and the Maduro, the San Andreas wrapper is the the combination of the Cameroon and the San Andreas wrapper. A little spicy kinda, sweet. Yeah, they kind of offset one another. I can so see it, that. It gives you a different flavor, so I'm very excited to fire this up and enjoy it tonight. It sounds like a good recipe. So follow that. All right. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> if I can do that. Uh, I didn't bring a story with mine, but. I am reaching into one that I don't smoke very often, uh, but I, I ventured into the Tatawahe corner of the humidor tonight, and I picked up one that I don't typically smoke from them, and it's the Regios. This is a mostly Nicaraguan cigar. It's true Cuban style, uh, Cuban seed grown and, and, all, and rolled in the Cuban style, but it's uh, Nicaraguan tobaccos with an Ecuadorian Habano wrapper. As far as I can tell, this is also a one-size cigar at five and a half by 50. They may do other sizes, but all the reviews that I found online of it are this size, and this is the only size he had in the humidor. Um, I should have probably done a little more research than that. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's just... it's Tatawahe is known for bringing really full-bodied sticks to your palate. 
and I really like that. Especially, it turned into a kind of a rainy day here, so that we've been getting a little bit fallish weather. Have you noticed that my palate starting to turn early this year? It is. My palate usually turns with the leaves, but it's starting to kind of getting a little bit more leaning a little more toward full-bodied smokes as I tend to do during colder weather. You know, it, my 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 evenings on the porch have started including pants instead of shorts and the occasional long sleeve shirt. So, now we saw the same thing last year. So, we're still in for some heat. But on days like today, I want to reach for something really full-bodied, and I think this is going to fit the bill really nicely. Yeah, I think we, you know, we'll have that last little gasp of summer, that little last little burst of heat. But for now, it's been outstanding. I mean, if it wasn't raining, we'd do the podcast outside tonight because mm-hmm. it's just absolutely wonderful. It's like seventy-eight degrees, and I, there's nothing better. Everyone out there, cigar cigar cast tip from Shane: when you choose to build a covered porch choose the metal roof you're going to spend a little bit more but when you're out there and it's just tapping on that metal roof in the rain and you have a good cigar you'll know you made the right decision listeners to early episodes of the show will actually have gotten the opportunity to hear that twice in i think episodes three and six where we were that was back when we were still recording on your back porch and we were dancing with the rain a little bit yeah, we were always worried, okay, is it going to rain tonight and sound like bacon frying through the entire podcast and all. So let's start out. Let's get it out of the way. Let's address the elephant in the room. Yes, let's address the legislation for this week. So two leading organizations representing the U.S. premium cigar industry filed a massive document with Scott Gottlieb. Um, cigar Rights of America. Wasn't and it something like 96 pages or something ridiculous like that? 529 pages. That's what it was. <laughs> International Pipe and Cigar Retailer Association, IPCPR. Um, their points were, the joint statement sent out earlier this afternoon, premium, they, the points they wanted to make, and I don't, I'm not sure that 529 pages is necessary for anything. I've never had an ideal that I needed to communicate via 529 pages. Uh, You've never been an attorney. Let me tell you something, folks. If you can't say it in 25 words or less, you don't understand the principle very well. That's a, that's <laughs> I a think rule this is a by. bit more complicated than that. I mean, in general, I understand your, your premise, but you're also talking to somebody who uses $20 words when a $6 word will do. So there are certain scenarios in which adding some length, especially in a legal document, makes sense. However, like you said, 529, that's a lot of pages. Well, I love that they boiled down the gist of it to these three items. Premium cigars are a luxury item and purchased and smoked infrequently by adults. I think we can all agree with that. The average cigar smoker smokes one or two a month. Yeah. And we're above average, as we are in most things. (laughs) But youth engagement with premium cigar products is so minimal, it was determined to be statistically insignificant. That was the one, that was the biggest takeaway line for me when I read it. I didn't read the whole 529 pages, but I read... uh, What, are we doing a show or not? (laughs) Come on, Trey. (laughs) I've only got so many hours in a day, and I'm a slow reader. Uh... But that was the line to me that was the most telling. Statistically insignificant. That's important. This The last point, though, is one that I really think um, could be debated by people that don't understand premium cigars. 
Premium cigars are not used by consumers as an alternative or supplemental source of nicotine. It, it is, you do get a few people that use cigars to quit cigarettes. But I don't think, I think it's so, I think that's probably also statistically insignificant. But I also see, what I see more of are people that find cigars after they give up cigarettes as opposed to, and I think what they're trying to do is, is draw the line of delineation between cigars and vaping. Because vaping was marketed originally as an alternative, as a smoking cessation aid. And then, of course, it kind of took on and became whatever it is. So I think what they're trying to do in stating that is say, this isn't vape. This is, people aren't going to cigars to quit cigarettes. And I think, on the whole, that's true. Yeah, I think, you know, in my we've said it before on the show, and in my life, I found people that smoke cigarettes have a hard time enjoying cigars because they want to inhale. They want to suck it down, and you just don't do that with a cigar. That's not how cigars are made to be enjoyed. They tend to smoke very quickly. Yes. Because they're used to having to sneak one in on a break. And they, yeah, the, the inhalation piece of it makes a big difference for a lot of people. Yeah, rarely ever, like I said, rarely ever is cigarette and cigar smokers crossing path. Right. I just don't think it. But that brings us to the bad news. See, this is the story I thought you were going to lead with. Well, I felt like laying a little groundwork. Okay. I, I wanted to lay a little groundwork. Altria, the parent company of Marlboro, Marlboro, Black and Milds, and Nat Sherman Cigars. I, I, sorry, I was about to crap on your point. I'll let you finish making it, and then I'll give my... uh, Thank you. I appreciate you holding it in. They have came out against the premium cigar exemption, which boggles my mind. It causes a lot of emotions in me. Um, one of them, I feel sorry for the Nat Sherman rep because yesterday, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, everything was slammed with cigar shops saying, no we're more. throwing the Nat Sherman out the door. There will be no more Nat Sherman in our shop. You know, it was all just, we were inundated with that reaction from the cigar community, rightfully so. Yeah. So you and I, our, our initial reaction was exactly the same. And that was, well, I've smoked my last Nat Sherman. I'm actually surprised it's taken this long for someone to come out on that position, especially knowing that, it's, that so there are people in the cigarette market that have connections to the cigar. I'm surprised it took them this long. Be, because you also look at Nat Sherman's market share. They're in a handful of shops. They don't sell well. They're, I, was on, I went on record, what was it, three, four weeks ago, saying how much I like Nat Sherman cigars when we were talking about the rebranding. Right, we're the about rebranding to do the of it. You know, but that being said, like, how can you, you know, I'm sure as in terms of their portfolio as a business, it's probably in the lower third, and that's why they felt comfortable in this and knowing that they can afford to pay whatever regulations come through on the heels of it. Yes, it's it's a it's a greedy, low down, and surprise surprise, cigarette manufacturers are greedy, low down people. Right. Um, yeah. Who'd but, have seen that coming? Yeah. Brace yourself. You mean the the guys with Marlboro are not upstanding citizens and pillars of the community? Right. How dare they? But to purposely basically put the death nail in one of their own businesses just really 
troubles me, especially a business that, like you said, you know, they just talked about doing a total rebranding of this product. I guarantee you yesterday the Nat Sherman rep got 20 phone calls of people saying, hey, that sh- that order I cancel placed at the show, order. cancel that. Yeah. We won't be carrying your product. And it makes me wonder if Altria doesn't really understand the cigar industry, which they would have to not. Like, you don't you don't say something like that. You don't issue a press release like that unless you really don't understand how this industry works. It's a small community. It's not like your cigarette smokers that are out there just bouncing around from corner store to gas station to get their hands on it. This is a community with really close ties and a little bit of an emotional investment in their hobby. And to come out and say, no, we think you guys should pay more. We think these small companies should go out of business, because that's what they're saying. They may not have used those words, but they're saying that we've got the money to sustain if it doesn't get an exemption. And ultimately, that's better for us, because that means Nat Sherman will live on, and the rest of you guys will go the way of the dodo. Yeah, it's it's low down. Now, this did cause me to do some more thinking. That's Um, always dangerous. Yeah, as if I don't do enough. You know, Nat Sherman, giving up Nat Sherman and cigars for me is like giving up nude midnight bungee jumping. <laughs> I don't do it often enough that I would miss it in my life. Right. So that it's not a big deal. But what if one of my favorite, let's say Drew Estate had actually come out and said this. Which a lot of people were concerned was going to happen. Right, that Swisher might do just that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there would be a, a Viva La Revolution in Drew Estate if that was to happen. I'm sure you're right. I'm sure it would be very, very, lots of resignations flying, lots of... But I also think it says a lot about Swisher and how much more intelligent they are than the Philip Morris people, that they understand that this is a a, a special type of business. Well, and, and I they're will... they're committed to it. I will say Swisher has done 1,000% ex- better than I ever hoped they would do when I heard they bought Drew Estate. Same. I, w- I did not have high hopes. I'll, I'll admit it. But they have done amazing things for that company. Credit Where credit is due, Swisher has been good for the cigar industry. Yeah. And I'll, But I did think, you know, what if I had to give up 50% of the cigars I smoke? Could I, on a principle, could I do it? And the answer is yeah. Yeah. I, on something like that, you know, early, early on, there were, I'm talking three years ago, four years ago, when all of this started. It's hard to believe it's been that long. But there were a lot of rumors going around that General Cigar was on the, in favor of the FDA regula- re- regulations because they could afford it. And um, J.C. Newman, same, which owns Fuente. There were a lot of those rumors. And I'm pretty sure it was started by competitors and things like that in the industry. But it became very abundantly clear early on that no one was in favor of it. So, but that's but those rumors is why I say that it it took longer for someone to actually have the stones to come out and say that. Yeah, it's just um, it's just disturbing that anybody would just shoot themselves in the foot just for the purpose of shooting themselves in the foot. There's no way this comes out good for Nat Sherman. If Nat Sherman is the only cigar company that survives, this will become the poker cast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just I'm, I'm that passionate that I will not be smoking. You know, I've got a Nat Sherman ashtray at home that I won that now I've got to run over with when I get my truck back. You so, still don't have your truck back? Uh, <laughs> well, well, we can say there, that. For there, there's never, you know, huh? 
I love my guy that does the work to my vehicles. But when he said two weeks, I knew that was never happening. Right. I, I knew that was never happening. Um, currently, the projection is three weeks, which would be after this podcast has dropped. And I seriously doubt that I'm driving around today listening to the cigar cast in my truck. Yeah, I would not hold my breath. But that's that's also the nature of the business. I, I'm yeah. fully laid back. I fully understand Till you actually get the truck took apart, you don't know what all has been damaged. That's true. So I, I, I fully give him, you know, leeway on that. But anyway, we're going to move forward with life. So tell me about your cigar. I'm really enjoying it. It's Tatawa is one, like I said, I don't get to very often. And it's, I've been smoking a lot of um, Avo and Oliva lately. And some of the the Romeo, I picked up a handful of Romeo 505 Nicaraguas the other night. I've been smoking those too. And they are just, you know, I hate to say this because I love Tatuaje, but I'm just not getting the complexity that I'm used to out of it. No, I'm just barely started, so I'm sure it'll develop once it warms up a little bit. But it's, it's, kind, of a, it's kind of a three-note chord. So the Zocala really appeals to my palate, but... I I would I would caution everybody out there smoke one before you buy a box and there's a deal on a box of these everywhere. A box of these is pretty easy to acquire. They're definitely under eight dollars. You know, a sixty six by sixty box of twenty at Mike's Cigars is one hundred seventeen dollars. Oh yeah, that's not bad. So, but before you buy a box, smoke one or two because I'm certain this is not a cigar that's going to appeal to everyone's palate. You know, the, the 505 Nicaraguan, if you're a cigar smoker, you should like that cigar. A Padron, you should like if you're a cigar smoker. But you're getting this t- more toward that, that gray area where you're going to have to really want the Cameroon, want the flavor. Yeah, I find Cameroon is one of those polarizing leaves as well that people either love it or hate it. I personally love it. I'm a huge Cameroon fan. But there are people I know that just aren't. And that's that's it's like the candela for me. I hate candela wrap cigars, so I, I definitely understand what you mean when when it has to fit that. It's the the KFC is a perfect example of that. Yeah, the KFC is a very polarizing cigar, <laughs> and it's funny because usually when you get a polarizing cigar, it's either okay I could smoke this every day or I never want to smoke it again. KFC falls kind of into that weird category because you got people that could smoke it every day people that'll never smoke it again and then people like yourself and i that uh, one a month one every six months that's plenty yeah i i think it's a great cigar but it's one that will definitely blow my palate out if i have it too frequently yeah i mean you know when we go to the barn smoker in september and we get six or seven of them that's pretty much my kfc's for the year yeah that that (laughs) last me i actually smoked my last one from last september uh a month and a half ago (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it just it, it's kind of that way. It's that cigar. So this this Ocala, I will tell you, I'm getting very tinny metallic, kind of like you get from a Brazilian tobacco. Okay. And a matter of fact, when I was smoking it the other day, I had to check the recipe because I thought I'm I'm really tasting that Brazilian taste. And tinny and metallic sounds like a bad description, but it's not. It's a sensation just like anything else. Yeah. You know, rubbing Velcro can be a bad sensation or a good one. It depends which side you get. Yeah. So, <laughs> so the, how good would we be if we rehearsed? Um, 
so the Zocalo, not for everybody, but I do like it. I think it suits my palate. I don't think it'll make it into my daily smoke rotation, my weekly. Um, it's probably going to be a couple of time of year smoke for me. Will one make it on the cruise with you? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did purchase extra just to to be sure it made the cut. Excellent. And Because it is a Mexican cigar, and I, if I am going to be in the Mexico waters, I will, of course, want to have that. And also... We're going to step away a little bit early tonight because I've got a lot of stuff to cover in the second half of the show. All right. Sounds good. And uh, when we come back, I want to talk about the majesty of the Torpedo Cigar. Five things you need to know about Torpedo Cigars. You didn't prep me for that one. I know. I always I always keep a <laughs> little... It's, it's kind of like, you know, when you declare end nuclear arms, everybody keeps one bomb. <laughs> I'm just keeping one back. Okay. Also, I want to talk about how to cut a cigar when you're stuck without a lighter, without a cutter. Now, this one I can sink my teeth into. But, uh, pun intended. Yes, very much so. I'm but glad you picked up on that. Enjoy the cigar under eight, and we'll be right back. Shane here with this week's Cigar Under $8. This week, let's talk about the CAO Zocalo. Have we ever featured a Cigar Under 8 on the same episode we smoked it? Um, possibly. Maybe once or twice. May- maybe once or twice. But it's a rare occasion. But you really like that cigar. I do. I've really enjoyed it. This does not taste like a Cigar Under 8. This does taste like a $12 cigar. And especially when you look at the recipe, when you look at a San Andreas Mexican wrapper, the binder is Cameroon, the filler is Nicaraguan, that it's a full-bodied cigar, and that, you know, a pack of five six-by-sixties is 30 bucks. That's not bad at all. So you're talking about six bucks a cigar. And just a great cigar for that price. It only comes in one size. It only comes in six-by-sixty. So this ain't one of those deals where this is the cigar under eight if you order the double petite Corona, you know, that's like... A hummingbird's beak full of smoke. No, this is a 6 by 60 smoke. I've smoked it the whole show. It's been wonderful. Like I said, get a few, try a sampler pack first, see if they're for you, and then enjoy the CAO Zocalo. And welcome back to the Cigar Cast. This is one of your hosts, Shane Reeves, sitting across from Trey Dedman. Welcome back, everybody. Enjoying the CAO Zocalo. Uh, we were just talking about it before the break. Like I said, I think... It, it suits my palate, but I can see a large margin for error. Right. I, and, you know, we, we sat on the break for a little bit, and uh, since since it's the cigar I've, I've gotten a little bit, I'm starting to get a little bit more out of it. I'm sure by the end of the show it will have opened up by a long shot, and I'll, I'll be back where I think I need to be on it. Okay. So let's say your plane crashes in the mountains, and all you, you're the only survivor, and all you have is one cigar in the burning wreckage of the plane to light it. How do you cut that cigar? <laughs> I thought you were going to go to the torpedo thing first. Okay. Uh, <laughs> I would, it would have been a naval. It would be, you'd have been stranded on a desert island if I was going to do torpedo. Come on, Trey. Get with the picture. <laughs> Catch up. <laughs> uh, my go-to if I don't, do I have my Tom Mix pocket knife? Nice reference. Um, you could. That could be one of the techniques. So I have used a pocket knife before. And, but the trick for me with using a pocket knife is to use it to basically lift the cap off instead of trying to actually slice through it. Yeah, I think it's important to take first assess the direction your cigar is rolled. Assess if it has been rolled clockwise or counterclockwise. 
And I will say, most cigars I have found have been rolled clockwise. Yeah, that's uh, actually a tradition thing. Uh, I, I was speaking to someone a long time ago about this because I noticed that if my cigar was starting to blow up on me while I was driving in the car, I noticed because of the way they're wrapped, every time that happens, the car exacerbates it because when you stick the cigar out the window to ash, it catches the wind like a sail, and it's because they're all wrapped the same direction. So if we were overseas, then you wouldn't have that problem. In certain select countries, yeah, you're right. Yeah, I mean, if you were driving on the other side of the road, then your cigar would work. But they probably, I'm certain they roll them counterclockwise in Australia. But then I would have to learn how to smoke with my right hand, which I just don't have any interest in doing. Don't have that kind of skill set. No, I am not ambidextrous <laughs> when it comes to smoking a cigar. And you can see when I try to hold my cigar with my right hand, it's just not natural. I don't know how to do it. It's like trying to write with my right hand. Well, I'm both ambidextrous and amphibious. I can smoke with either hand or underwater. <laughs> so, stand back. <laughs> it's going to be one of those kind of nights, isn't it, Shane? <laughs> but, so, once you have decided by the light of the burning flame, of the burning plane, and, the you know, you're starting to hear the Yeti howl in the background, but oh, this is great for somebody flying to Colorado here soon, isn't <laughs> yeah, it? Yeah, it's really great. Um, determine the direction your cigar is, round, is wound. And then take the knife and score it in that direction where you would normally cut it. Mm -hmm. But don't try to mash it through it. Just lay it on there. Let the sharpness of the blade work its way through. You may have to make two or three rotations. Think of it like trying to cut through a piece of paper with an X-Acto knife on a wooden countertop where you want to get through the paper but not mess up your countertop. That's the kind of pressure you're going for because you just want to get the wrapper. You don't want to cut anything underneath. Right. You know when you're done when the cap just falls off. Right. Now, do you wet it before you do that or do you do it dry? I do it wet. You do wet it. Okay. Which I I tend to wet the cigar before I cut it anyway um, unless I'm using a house cutter. That's just one of those things I started and... It, it just, it holds, I feel like it holds it together better. So let's talk about the bite. The biting of the end of the cigar. You know, you've always seen that in the movie. They hand Hannibal the cigar, he bites the end off of it, spits it in the bad guy's face and proceeds to light it. There is an art form to that, that I'm sure you know as well. Now, is that something that you've had very much experience with? Do you bite the tip off your cigar very often? Never. Because you always have a cutter with you. I, I always have a cutter or some of the other methods that I'm about to mention. Um, the, so everything I speak of when I speak of biting the cigar is purely anecdotal evidence. Okay. And all, But the thought is to use your incisor, the sharp, your fang, if you will, and do the same thing we're doing with the knife. Just score the cigar in the direction <laughs> in which it is rotated. I wish people could see the... <laughs> See the demonstration over here? Absolutely. So I do it a little differently. And I I do bite the end off my cigar rather frequently. uh, Because I frequently, despite the fact that I own about 20 cutters, often will find myself without one. And, but I do it a little differently. And basically my goal is to just pull the cap off. And so I'll use my front teeth. And I will just barely get a hold of it. And then just kind of bite through and pull back to pull the cap off the end of it. So I'm not actually trying to bite through the cigar, just trying to kind of 
pull basically using your teeth as pliers. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, and just pull it. And now, does that pull the whole cap off? Oftentimes, most of the time, most of the time, you're gonna break the cap. But every once in a while, you'll get one, and you can because I'm not biting far enough back on it to get the edge of the cap. I'm still on the um, the bulging part of the cap, for lack of a better term. Right, the first 44 millimeter or so. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> are we talking circumference or radius? What are you talking oh. about? No. Um, it's a lot like uh, it's a lot like a punch when I get done with it. So it's it's in the middle of the of the. F- head of the cigar it's not it's not all the way around so the next tip yeah and I, I always love where they when they're at the movies and they chomp the end off the cigar and spit this wad of tobacco the size of a softball yeah you just a, wasted half of your cigar when you do that <laughs> yeah it's like dude what did this cigar do to you <laughs> but so a technique that actually willie herrera showed me and all and it's the way willie cuts all of his cigars is the thumbnail mm-hmm. now People out there without thumbnails, you know, without grown thumbnails that are have good manicures may say this eliminates me. It does not. I don't care how good your manicure is. You can pull down the cuticle on the corner of your finger and have enough thumbnail to do this. Mm-hmm. And you basically pull that down and you've got that sharp corner, especially if you've done the manicure thing. Because, you know, when I did mine a couple of weeks ago, they... They honed it off, but they always leave that little wing in there that you have to watch out for. So you take that wing, you dig it in, and you just rotate the cigar. Now, here's the trick. Don't try to rotate your arm. Rotate the cigar around that particular cutting edge, which is your thumbnail. And basically, you're ending up with a punch size hole. Yeah. Um, I, would, I would say the one that Willie, I watched Willie cut was as close to a perfect circle as I've ever seen in my life. See, I have, I've done that before, but I tend to do it with my pinky nail because I keep it short enough that it, it stays rigid. Typically, your thumbnail is the, is the hardest of, but my, my pinky nail stays in, you know, pretty strong, and it's, my finger's small enough that I can actually get a little bit of that radius in there. And so you can kind of twist it. When, yeah. But now you're twisting your hand, not the cigar, No, correct? I'm twisting the cigar. You I'm are just still twisting doing the that cigar. hand motion to, because I can. <laughs> and the last one, if trapped in the mountains and needing a way to cut your cigar, ruffle through a stewardess's bag of what's left and find an ink pen. Because you can always take the, you know, in most pens... You We're can going t- full on MacGyver at this we are, point. We are. This is, the, getting this cigar lit is crucial to your survival for the next couple of hours. Well, the plane's about... The fire in the plane is about to die out. you got to hurry up and That's get right. it cut. You, before, you, before you can't you be dilly-dallying around trying to find a cutter. So pull the end out of the ink pen. If it's a cheap bick, if it's a nicer pen, you may have to actually screw it out. And you can use that as a punch. Now, depending on the quality of the pen and the quality of the cigar, this could take a lot of time. But I recommend a seesaw motion, basically rolling the pen on the end of the cigar till it scores through the cap. I have, ne- I have never tried that one personally. One night we're going to have to do a MacGyver challenge for getting our cigar cut. And lit. And lit. Okay. Well, half the time my lighter don't work, so I end up rubbing two sticks together <laughs> until I get enough spark. I'm, when I see you show up to the show with steel wool and a couple of 9-volt batteries, I'm going to know what we're in store for that night. 
some some nights I've considered just trying to shoot it a light out of my mouth. (laughs) But so those are the techniques. Don't say we don't pass on valuable information on how to cut your cigar without a cutter. Now, um, an experience I had, I was actually on a beach in Cozumel and the gentleman I bought a cigar from used a dog's tooth out of not the whole dog, just the tooth (laughs) (laughs) used a dog's tooth, which I assume was sterile. I know it wasn't. (laughs) <laughs> and punched my cigar with me with the dog's tooth, and yeah. it worked out well. Well, anything c- c- cylindrical and somewhat pointy or having an edge to it can be a punch. Like like the the empty end of a ballpoint pen, for example, uh, a tooth. Uh, I'm trying to think of like a bullet. If you had one of those, like a spent bullet casing, could I've seen people turn into punches. That's really, I mean, the simplest way to get airflow through your cigar is to just poke a hole in the end of it. I've actually seen people uh, take the end, the the non-light end of a match and poke four holes in the end of their cigar. I've seen people do that as well, and that works. There, there's a lot of ways you can do it. If, you, if you're desperate for a smoke, you will find a way in which to cut your cigar. Yeah, especially, like, like I said, all you have to do is break that cap. I'm just trying to avoid getting tobacco salad in my mouth when I once I get it cut. If I can avoid that, I consider it a successful cut. And the the bite method does have some issues with that. I will admit that, especially if you don't get it quite thin enough and you take off more than you're anticipating, you're going to get a lot of tobacco salad. So, I think we just coined a new phrase there. Well, you did anyway. Tobacco salad? I like it. <laughs> I would prefer the chef's tobacco salad. Boil an egg, slice <laughs> up a little ham. <laughs> Let's go all the way if we're going to do it. So, bouncing around today, looking at different cigar news and articles and everything like that, I came across Manners Maketh Man, the famous line from the Kingsman. Okay. And talking about the rules of being a gentleman. Now, I know this is a cigar cast, but we do, we have always said a cigar is a gentleman's pursuit. This is, we have, we have touched on this numerous times. This is a recurrent theme for our show. So there's six rules here, and I would like your take on these rules. Okay. And see if they apply, if you, if you believe this will construct a gentleman. Is this in regards to cigars or just in general? Just in general. And where was the article from? Um, Pinterest. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Manicures and Pinterest. and Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I know, I know. <laughs> and I'll, I'll be smoking flavored cigars before long. Um. A gentleman never tells about conquests, private matters, or business dealings. His business is his and nobody else's. I fully agree with that. I think that's a pretty solid one. I think yeah. that that one's hard to debate. I was I was young in my career, hadn't quite graduated college yet at this point, and received uh, a piece of advice that is a bit of a trope. You know, everyone's heard it, everyone's said it, I'm sure, but it actually stuck with me. Don't tell everything you know. That's right. I mean, whether it, especially in business, but in all manners, there are some things that that don't need to be said. Well, the great Jerry the King Lawler used to say to the announcers when they were getting ready to call a match, he said, there's two rules to life. One is never tell everything you know. (laughs) (laughs) A gentleman doesn't clash in public with enemies or exes or worse with out of fashion, contrast, colors or styles. I'm not sure how that one really... Okay, so I can understand not clashing in public with enemies or exes. Okay. 
I, I can follow that. Out of color contrast, colors of style, I'm not sure I'm that fashion forward. Well, I, I think they were going for tongue-in-cheek on that. But I, I think the idea is to always um, to always be poised. If I, if I could kind of distill it down to look poised and to act poised. And I think that's what they're getting at. In which case, I agree with both parts. A gentleman is always happy to serve, whether it's opening the door, picking up a bill, or merely calling a cab. Ask him for help, and he cannot refuse. Yeah. I mean, I... Well, and so let's talk about door opening for a minute. Okay. (laughs) We've really been getting down into the nitty-gritty of of life tonight. Mm Mm-hmm. So, what is the distance by which it is acceptable to go through a door before a lady. So say I'm going into the bank. Or anybody. And, I hold, I'll hold the door for anyone. Uh, well, me, especially for a lady. A, a lady's um, another guy. I, well, we'll cover that in just a moment. Okay. But the distance for a lady. So if I'm going through a door and a lady is 20 foot out, I'll open the door and stand there and wait for her to get. If she's 30 foot out, she's 10 or 12 steps, especially if she's looking through her purse or putting her keys away or something like that, I may try to slip through the door at that point. I may not hold it for that long. What is the acceptable distance? Could I speak to them without raising my voice? If they are... (laughs) Hurry up, lady. (laughs) Well, no. Like, if, if they are far enough away that I would have to elevate my voice to be able to speak with them, then they're too far away for me to hold the door. But if I could say good morning at a normal voice and they hear it and be able to respond, then they're close enough to hold the door for it. And then my rule for men is approximately one-third that distance. If I'm not in danger of it flying back and hitting you in the face, I'm not going to hold it. I'm headed in. Well, the other, the other thing and is if I let go of the door and just go through it, if it doesn't fully close, close by the time the next person gets there, then I should have held it. Uh, hydraulic systems being what they are, you know. uh, Well, I mean, just some doors take a while. On your standard door, on your average, just thinking about a door closing time. Your average 44 millimeter a moment door. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. And uh, and, uh, as far as being of service, you know, I'm always when me and Glenda are yard selling, when Glenda and I are yard selling, if I see some lady pick up a heavy item to carry it back to her car, I'll offer to carry it to her car for her. To me, that's gentlemanly. That's the way it should be. If there's a husband and a wife trying to load up a dresser in the back of a truck and he's got one in and she's got the other, I'll try to step up and assist. You know, at the grocery store, if I see somebody in one of the little wheelie carts and they're standing in front of the meat section and the ribeye's on the top and they're eye level with the pig feet, I'll probably offer to reach up there for them. Yeah. I, I, I respond quite a bit to the, to the being of service thing. That's something that I try to do in every aspect of my life. That's, that's, being of service to others is something that I, is really, really important to me. And I think I've spoken about it on the show before as well. Uh, I know you and I have talked about, uh, about it at length. And, and it doesn't require, it usually doesn't require any extra time or effort on your part to just to do something nice for someone else. Now, this next one is one I really like. I really like this, and there are people in my life that have a really hard time mastering this particular skill. I will probably trot this out at some point in a conversation with somebody who may or may not have just walked in the door. 
A gentleman never reacts to rudeness. He pretends he doesn't recognize it and moves on like it never happened because it never should have. See, there's... On the face of it, I agree with that. But there's also... I mean, it's never your business to settle anyone else's hash. But there's a certain amount of rudeness that does need to be called attention to. For example, you've told a story on the show before about an interaction you had with someone here in the shop early on about acting in a way that wasn't conducive to gentlemanly behavior in front of your wife. Right. Now, that was rude behavior. You didn't ignore it. You took the opportunity to say, hey, in the spirit of friendship, now, you didn't say, hey, a-hole, knock it off. You approached it with dignity. But there are certain times when you have to say, hey, there are, you know, my wife is here, doesn't appreciate that kind of language. Or whatever, whatever the scenario may be, there are times when rudeness does need to be called out. But I would say 85% of, your li- of rudeness that infiltrates your life can be easily ignored and you'll be better off for it. Yeah, well, I mean, let, let's talk road rage, right? I mean, that's to a T what we're talking about. There's a lot of rudeness or... Uh, let's just call it rudeness, uh, that happens on the road. And you can choose to react and cuss them out and yell at them and flip them off, and, or you can just go, go about your day. And I'm not a good practitioner of that. I scream and yell and honk and all kinds of nasty things. But, but that is one of those things that, that you could just ignore. Well, I hope that I have enriched your life tonight. A gentleman is always on target with remarks, interesting facts, and conversation starters that bring the best out of everyone. Now, I want to know what your interpretation of that statement is, because mine may be totally different. Okay. So, well, let me first talk about where this can go wrong. Where someone, because I think this is one of those that's, that's easily practiced and difficult to master. In that there are a lot of times that people interject interesting facts and tidbits and things like that with no grasp for how conversation works. So if you are going to be the guy that keeps the conversation moving, you also have to know how to carry on that conversation and know that you don't always have to keep stoking that flame. Sometimes a conversation will just progress naturally. And there's nothing wrong with declaring an end to a topic. You know, there's nights that we're sitting here that Perhaps the gentleman next to me is imbibed a little more deeply in his cups than he should have. That happens frequently. And I'll take control of the situation in such a way as to to steer the conversation to the next topic because he's starting to repeat himself, things like that. So there, there's some of that goes on, but I interpret this differently. I interpret this to mean don't make it all about you. Well, yeah. You know, Every time something's brought up, don't say, oh, yeah, that happened to me. You know, we've all been around that guy. Right. Well, and also the, the other side of that is, is don't be, you don't have to be willing to temper your appreciation of a subject when you can feel it waning in others. We talked about it at the beginning of the show. I'm a huge James Bond fan uh, to the point that I'm a James Bond nerd, but... I know that not everyone else is. So if the topic comes up, I'm very cognizant of the fact that I have a lot of information and it it excites me. But as soon as the conversation starts to flow away from that topic, just let it go. 
I may have not gotten the opportunity to share this, this, and this, which I think you would think is interesting, but clearly my enjoyment level is here. Yours is here. Let's move on. Yeah, there's nothing worse than a guy that grabs hold of a subject and worries it like a terrier with a chew toy for, you know, 30 minutes of your cigar. Right. And uh, the last one is a gentleman asks non-invasive questions to keep a conversation going and attention focused on others. He makes them feel like the most interesting person he's ever met, whether that's true or not. Is that is that gentlemanly behavior or is that just good conversation? I think that's just good conversation. I think it's just conducting yourself in good, you know, being able to keep a conversation moving. I kind of like, I by nature, anybody that listened to this podcast knows, I by nature am kind of a, a pace setter. You're a storyteller. Yeah. And I want to set a certain pace and I want to keep that pace and I don't want that to wane or to chase too many rabbits as I'll put it. Yeah. I don't want to get too deep into the weeds. That is one of those things that conversationally that drives me crazy is the the person that, that can't stay on, like, are we talking about this or are we talking about these four other things? I can multitask with the best of them, and I can follow your train of thought. But depending, especially if it's a more serious or heavier topic of conversation, I want to, I want to dive in. Well, I think to, to wrap all that up, <laughs> you can catch that one in editing. I think to wrap all that up, basically, being a good conversationalist, being conducive of your fellow man, and being considerate of other people, knowing there's more than just yourself walking around in this world. I think it all boils down to that. Being, having other people's interests above your own. And I think that's, I think that chivalry or gentlemanliness or whatever you want to call it, it's just being a good human, is thinking of others first. Well, I, but I did want to cover those. I thought those were some fun rules. I'll give you a week to think about the things you want to know about torpedo cigars since we're about out of time for this show. All right. But uh, I do love the torpedo cigar, and I do have some interesting... And I do hate the torpedo cigar, so I'm sure that'll be a lively conversation. Good. I, I can change your opinion. I doubt that. <laughs> well, uh, until next week, uh, if you have topics for future shows or ha- have some comments on anything that we've discussed, uh, go on over to facebook.com slash thecigarcast and drop us a line. You can also reach us at thecigarcast on Twitter and Instagram. And if you could stop on over by iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and drop us a review, uh, five stars, we hope, but we understand we're not perfect. Um, but it just really helps the algorithm, you know, helps other people find us and that sort of thing. Well, thanks everyone for listening. And until next week, have a great cigar and think well of us. 